Welcome to the Women in Government podcast, a way for people to come together and discuss important issues and policies of the day. To get the conversation started, here is Alaska State Representative Garen Tarr. <coughs> We're all familiar with the symptoms, sneezing, a cough, sore throat, chills, and a high fever. Seasonal influenza, more commonly known as the flu, is a contagious viral infection that is often treated at home with rest and lots of fluids. However, it can sometimes be more serious and lead to hospitalization and even death. Hello, I'm Alaska State Representative Garen Tarr, and thank you for listening to the Women in Government podcast. Each year, three to five million cases of severe flu are reported worldwide. Depending on the virus, influenza-associated deaths can range from 290,000 to over 650,000 people. Last year, the number of those infected with the flu in the United States skyrocketed to levels we haven't seen in more than a decade. Is our country prepared for this year's flu season? What is being done to protect our health in the medical and pharmaceutical communities? Are your state's leaders on the front line and ready to battle the 2018 flu bug? And what can you do to protect your family's health? Joining us today to answer these questions are Kansas State Senator and retired physician, Barbara Bollier. Senator Bollier is a member and former vice chair of the Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee. Thanks for joining us, Senator. Great to be here, Representative Tarr. We also have Elaine O'Hara, Chief Commercial Officer at Santa Fe Pasteur, North America. Thank you so much, and it's great to be here. I'd also like to welcome our third guest, Dr. Monica Mercer. She's the Director of Scientific and Medical Affairs at Santa Fe Pasteur. Thank you. It's great to be here. Finally, I want to thank everyone who's listening and remind you to like or share our conversation. You can also email us by visiting womeningovernment.org. To get started, seasonal influenza is unpredictable, disruptive, and too often deadly. Dr. Mercer, who is most at risk of contracting the flu and what can they do to reduce their risk of getting sick? Thank you, Representative Ta. That's a great question to start us off today. And the truth is we are all at risk of catching the flu. But there are some people who go on to develop severe complications from the flu. And these complications can result in in getting sicker, ending up in hospital, and sometimes even dying from the flu. And the hard part is that we can't always predict who is going to develop complications because we see people who were otherwise healthy before showing up with the flu then getting the flu and getting really ill. But we do know that there are people who are at increased risk of developing flu-related complications. And here we see, in particular, we look at the extremes of life. We look at the very young, so that's children under five, and even more so children under the age of two. And adults from 50 and older are definitely more vulnerable to flu-related complications. We also see that pregnant women are vulnerable, both while they're pregnant and within that two-week period after having delivered their babies. And people with medical conditions such as diabetes or heart disease, asthma and kidney disease, and other chronic conditions, which we really see actually commonly among our general population, are all at risk of complications from flu. To go on to answer the second part of your question, which is what we can do to help prevent getting the flu, first and foremost, the best way to help protect ourselves from getting the flu is to get a flu vaccination. And this is readily available at your doctor's office, your local pharmacy, clinic, at your hospital, sometimes even in the workplace. It's really easy to get your flu vaccination. 
along with that, we should always take some everyday preventive actions to help us stop spreading flu to others. So washing your hands often with soap and water, or if soap and water is not available, then use a good alcohol rub. When you're coughing and sneezing, do it into the crook of your arm or into a Kleenex and throw that away. And really also very important is if you're sick, stay home from work, stay home from school. And even if you start feeling better, you really need a good 24 hours without a fever before you go back into your communities to really help stop spreading flu to others. So again, it's really good to do things that help prevent the spread of disease. But the best way to help prevent flu is to get your flu vaccination. And the Centers for Disease Control, or the CDC, as they're commonly called, recommend that everyone six months of age and older, with rare exception, get their flu vaccination every year. Thank you. And so right off the bat, our listeners should know how important getting this vaccination is in terms of preventing influenza. And it also helps prevent the risks of severe consequences. Could you just talk a little bit about that? We know that the flu is unpredictable. And we know that every year, people who are otherwise think they may be healthy are vulnerable to flu. We don't always know which way it's going to go. And for that reason, you can end up being hospitalized. And unfortunately, we see a percentage of people actually do die from flu. So, so these severe complications that can occur are certainly of a concern and something that we really want to avoid and can avoid if we vaccinate. Thank you. And I think that's something that really hasn't been on our mind to think of the severe consequences. So I really appreciate you talking about that. Dr. Mercer, can you tell us why we need to get the flu shot each year? Yes. So, you know, the flu, <laughs> the flu is unpredictable. The virus changes from season to season. So that's from one year to the next. And it can even change within a season. The virus itself is a clever little virus that can undergo small genetic adaptations and these tiny adaptations add up, and we call this drift. And really, the virus can then change from what it was originally in the beginning of the season to what it is later. So it's just really unpredictable. So an annual flu vaccination against our currently circulating strain of flu will help reduce the risk of flu and these serious flu-related illnesses where we see things like pneumonias and exacerbations of chronic medical conditions. You know, even though most people understand that flu is more severe than a common cold, they still think that it's a virus that just affects their nose and mouth and throat. And so they think of themselves as having a cough or a runny nose or feeling congested. But they often don't make that connection that it could make their diabetes worse. It really has these systemic effects as well. So you need to get vaccinated every year to help protect you from what's currently circulating because it'll be different to what was around last year. So even if you got vaccinated the year before, that's just not good enough, unfortunately. And even if you do go on to get the flu, if you're vaccinated, we see that there is a reduction in the severity. So even if you get flu, we'll see that people then may not get as sick, may not end up in hospital. So, you know, it's preventive and can help mitigate disease. So we need to be trying to stay one step ahead here with our health is what it sounds like. Absolutely. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And now I want to turn to Senator Bollier. You recently sponsored a resolution concerning influenza in your state of Kansas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And if people in your communities typically get the flu shots each year, are you reaching out to constituents with this issue? One of the things that we've done or we find in Kansas, rather than just passing laws, is that as a legislature to bring attention to various issues, which not infrequently are health-related issues, 
we can pass a resolution that is a whereas, and a whereas a lot of things being brought up, and then a statement, therefore, and therefore we must recognize such and such a week as awareness for influenza week or a month, that kind of resolution. And we find that's a way to bring it to the attention and level that other people in the community then are realizing this is something that matters to the legislature. As far as people in our community getting flu shots, yes, typically people do, but typically not enough do, and not all the ones who need a flu shot get it done. So I'll talk later today as we move through thinking about things, ways that we can increase getting people out. But for us as legislators, one of the things that I do is use a newsletter and include information about what people might do for a particular illness and like for the flu that they need to remember to be getting their flu shots or something along those lines. So all of us, whether we're in the legislature or just regular citizens, whatever we're doing in our workplaces, we can recommend and remind people to be getting their flu shots. That's really helpful. And as policymakers and even other community leaders, something that seems really approachable, something we can all be doing, I'm glad we're going to be coming back to that topic and talk about it a little bit more. But now we're going to go on at this time and talk more about developing the flu vaccine. Since influenza viruses evolve constantly, the World Health Organization has established a global influenza surveillance and response system that monitors their circulation and provides recommendations twice a year as to which virus strains should be included in vaccines. So we're going to move on and talk here with Elaine. What makes creating the flu vaccine each year so difficult? Yes, great question. So I'm going to pick up on a couple of things that Dr. Mercer had said in her opening statements, and then also, as you just characterized, Representative Tarr, it's flu vaccine production, it's quite a complex process. You know, as, as was mentioned earlier on, new flu strains, they emerge constantly and strain activity fluctuates, so the virus can fluctuate throughout the year. Essentially, we really have two seasons or two hemisphere seasons. So you have what's called a northern hemisphere season, which is obviously what we're subject to in the United States, and then the Southern Hemisphere flu season, which is always the opposite because of the differences between winters and summers, right? So so flu activity is monitored, as you said, around the world throughout the year, and surveillance data are collected and studied before, let's say, the upcoming Northern Hemisphere flu season, literally to determine what are the circulating strains that should be selected and put into that year's upcoming flu vaccine. And so what happens is once those strains are selected and each available flu vaccine can either help protect against three or four influenza strains. So if four influenza strains are included in a vaccine, they would be known as two A strains typically, A H1N1, A H3N2. I know this is going to be a little bit of alphabet soup and either one or two strains from the B lineage, the B virus. So once those are selected, then essentially it's all pencils down and all manufacturers then start to produce the influenza vaccine for that upcoming season. And it takes at least six months once the WHO health officials select the flu strain to be included in the vaccine to essentially produce it and then get it into the marketplace. So 
it's quite complicated. It's a very highly regulated process as well that requires significant testing at each step along the way. Pretty much 70% of the entire production process is devoted to what we call testing and validation. So it's a very exciting time, but it's also quite a complicated process as well. So let's just go over that again for folks who are listening, because this may be a little more technical information than we generally get. So you're talking about the northern and southern hemispheres, but then beyond that, we basically have these A and B strains. And what you're saying is each year, the World Health Organization is trying to find the most common within each of those A and B strains, and that's what we're going to provide a vaccine against. Yeah, that's correct. So flu vaccines are a little different to the way other vaccines are made and because it's very seasonal. So we talked a little bit earlier on about the influenza virus changing every year. And so it really is a race against time to select the most appropriate strains to make sure that they get into the vaccine so that once a person is immunized, let's say in the fall, they have the most effective response then if there's wild virus circulating to protect them from those influenza viral strains. So that's essentially what happens, and it's very, very different to how typically other vaccines are made. So if you're making, for example, a meningitis vaccine or a polio vaccine or a measles vaccine, it stays the same. It doesn't change from year to year. So again, as I alluded to earlier on, then it makes the, uh, the process very complicated and complex because there are many steps that are along the way once those strains are actually selected by the WHO. You know, and another unique step from the flu vaccine perspective, as I mentioned earlier on, what we do then as we come up to this time of the year, we have many, many customers, pharmacies like CVS and Rite Aid and so on, they go through a process which is called a pre-booking process. And that means that they basically place their orders for quantities of influenza vaccine with the vaccine manufacturers in the U.S., and they do that actually almost eight to ten months in advance of the upcoming season. So to put it into context, the team that I work with were literally working with all of our customers, our pediatricians, our geriatricians, our internists, and all of the retail pharmacies to understand what quantities of influenza they needed for this upcoming season and making sure that we had the right amount to be able to disperse into the marketplace for this upcoming season. Well, it's really been made clear how important it is that we have public health research to complement the work companies are doing to try and make sure that we can be the most effective in which ones we're trying to vaccinate against. And you did bring us right into fall season here. We're talking about the pre-booking, the orders that need to take place. Flu season usually kicks off in December and peaks around February in the Northern Hemisphere. However, we know last year it hit really early. And as we can recall, last year's bug was particularly powerful and put more people in the hospital and caused more deaths than other more common flu strains. And Senator Bollier, Kansas was a flu hotspot in February of 2018. So as we start thinking about this and planning ahead for this year's flu season, I wanted to ask you if you can tell us about how last year's flu season impacted your communities in Kansas. Well, you're exactly right that February was a hot time for flu in Kansas. One of the challenges we had last year was that the virus that was rampant wasn't covered as effectively by the vaccination everyone got. It's always a guessing game, and those viruses, tricky as they are, 
mutate and change, and so it made many more people ill, which was very difficult. In February of last year, I talked to our state epidemiologist, and we had a peak level. They track doctor visits related to the flu around the state, and one week in February, we had an 11.5% count for all visits that were attributable to flu-like symptoms which is a very, very large number and our highest incident. What is important about the impact of what this does to our community is that so many people are ill and it causes things like school closing. Well, closing a school in and of itself, it helps stop the spread of the virus, but all those children, all their parents have to provide care for them during the day when they're not expected to. So many, or if not most of those parents, end up having to miss work. And that has a very significant economic impact just on work production. Thank you. And that's really important that we're thinking of the combined impact there as we look at the health issues, but also the community impact. And we have some information, Senator Bollier, from your Kansas Department of Health and Environment Division of Public Health. Last year's Kansas Influenza Surveillance said that there were 99 deaths directly attributed to the flu in Kansas, and that's an increase from the previous season of just 19. So that had to really be making the papers and be a big deal in communities for your constituents. And I'm just wondering... Very much so. And quite honestly, there was a personal experience. I had an acquaintance who she and her husband lost their three-year-old child to influenza. And it was very rapid. We all think in today's world, our children might get sick, but you can always go to the doctor and there will be an antibiotic or something else to take care of whatever's wrong. And flu kills and it's a virus. An antibiotic doesn't impact a virus. And we can end up having a death. And when you have someone that you know Of course, it raises the whole level of awareness and care about it, but the reality is we have hundreds and thousands of deaths. That's somebody that knows those people everywhere. And our job as public health administrators, i.e. legislators, is to help encourage people to make sure that doesn't happen and do the best we can to prevent things like the death of a three-year-old. We hope would have been prevented if that child had been vaccinated. Oh, that is just so sad. And as a policymaker, I think probably one of the worst days you can have at this job when you have to hear a story like that, especially a child, especially knowing it's something that's preventable, which is really cementing the importance of today's conversation in my mind. And we've talked now about the health impacts, the 99 deaths up from 19. That's terrible. We've talked about work productivity and lack of productivity and loss when someone has to be away from work when they're sick. But what about health care costs? Here in Alaska, this is a major issue for us. Senator Bollier, I'm sure this has to be an issue for you in Kansas, your state's health care costs. Have you looked into that piece of this and what that means? One of the things to keep in mind, there are both direct and indirect health care costs. So the actual flu itself, it's the cost of buying all the medications that you need to treat And the cost, of course, if you have to be hospitalized, which significantly increases the cost. But people who have other coexisting disease, just having the flu can really throw your diabetes sugar counts off. And so all of that extra 
adds up to significantly more impact on the actual cost of health care in the state. Thank you, Senator. And this might be a good time to say, what is the cost of a flu shot? You know, it depends. And one of the things that's really important to know is that, like for Kansas, we have actually put in place the opportunity for actual designated doses of flu vaccine for people who do not have health insurance. And we distribute doses of the flu vaccine to our federally qualified health care programs. So it depends. I mean, people frequently, their flu vaccine is covered by insurance, but if not, There are many programs that are put in place by various pharmaceutical companies and pharmacy companies, and so it is really dependent. But a flu shot is affordable, and compared to the cost of not getting the flu shot, just one day's work will make up for what you've spent most generally for a flu shot. Thank you, and I think that's just really important as we think about prevention opportunities, be thinking about the cost-benefit analysis. Certainly, if you have an underlying health condition and end up hospitalized, that's undoubtedly going to be significantly more expensive than if you've gotten your flu vaccination. I want to transition now back to Dr. Mercer. We just heard the story of a three-year-old dying from the flu last year in Kansas. It's such a sad situation with a young person. Last year's influenza season was intense, and we saw severe outcomes in otherwise healthy children and young adults. Dr. Mercer, what made last season different from previous flu seasons? Right. Yes, absolutely. It was, a, it was a really severe season. And we know this from all the stories, from all the data that we saw from the surveillance that the CDC did. And it really was a continuously widespread season, which is not typical. Usually we see different regions of the country impacted at different times. But for almost the whole 19 weeks of last year's flu season, or last flu season, I should say, which was really longer than what we usually see, we also saw it impacting almost all of the continental U.S. at the same time. So so that was really unusual. So both that, the fact that it lasted much longer, and then there was just a large amount of flu illness that was recorded and hospitalizations. The hospitalization rates by far were higher than what we've recorded in the last 10 years. And in fact, in 2010, which was a pandemic year when we see we would typically see more hospitalizations and more ill people because that's when you have a flu virus that comes through that no one has ever seen before. It's a whole new virus. Even compared to that season, we were seeing more hospitalizations. It really was a severe season. We saw more flu-related pneumonia deaths. And, and as already mentioned, the pediatric side, which is so tragic, we saw a notably high number of children dying from flu. And another challenge was that it was not as effective in some of our populations, especially in our older adults. So this was a year when we saw the greatest hospitalizations in adults 50 and older. Usually we'll see that our senior population, so we're looking at adults 65 and older, we'll see that they tend to have the greatest amount of hospitalizations every flu season. But in our 2017-2018 season, we actually saw that Those numbers went down to adults who were 50 and older. So that was very impactful, both in a group we don't typically see. It's a group that is still a big part of our workforce. That was very notable. And the vaccine itself, as we mentioned, that there are several vaccine strains that we're most concerned about. The H3N2 strain is the one that we saw that the vaccine was not working as well in compared to the others. And that's a strain that tends to be linked with more severe disease, especially in our elderly patients. 
So all those factors combined, I think, is what made us see a more severe disease. But it wasn't all bad news, I have to say. I mean, according to the surveillance, we always turn to the CDC for this data. Flu vaccines did provide protection for a significant number of people. And we saw good protection in children, six months to eight years of age, the ones that did get vaccinated. And the effectiveness against the other strains, so that alphabet soup that Elaine was talking about, the H1N1 and the other influenza B viruses, there was better effectiveness for those uh, strains. Thank you, Dr. Mercer. It's clear how difficult it is to prepare against the proper strain for each season and then make sure we're getting out the information to the right people and that people are taking advantage of this as a really important prevention tool. We have some numbers to look at here. Here in the U.S., during the 2016-2017 flu season, the estimated number of influenza illnesses averted by vaccination was 5.2 million. The number of hospitalizations avoided was more than 84,000. So even though it's a difficult environment you're trying to develop this vaccination in, and you have this always changing and unpredictable virus, you still have these really significant numbers that point to it as an important part of prevention. And so Dr. Mercer and Elaine, I wanted to ask you, what did we learn from this past flu season to help us prepare for this coming season? Absolutely. You know, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier on. Each flu season is different. And literally, we take extreme caution and measures to continuously improve our flu vaccines to make sure that we have the most appropriate strain selection so that going into the upcoming flu season, we have the most efficacious vaccine that we can possibly bring to public health, um, you know, particularly for those who are at higher risk for complications, right? So, and Dr. Mercer talked about this earlier on, for older people, those 65 years of age and older, what typically happens as you age, your immune system is not as robust as let's say it once was. And so we have introduced a, what's known as a higher dose flu vaccine, which has been proven in studies to prevent and help prevent flu in that patient population, which is a little bit older because you just really need more vaccine, more antigen on board. And then we also have a technology that we believe is going to be important, certainly for the future of flu vaccines, and it enabled us to broaden our vaccine portfolio. It's what's known as a recombinant vaccine. It relies on recombinant DNA technology. It's basically not derived from eggs, but it comes from cell lineage. And that's also helpful for patients as well and for people who have more susceptibility to influenza as a result of potentially having other health issues such as diabetes or cardiovascular issues, as was mentioned before. But it kind of really goes back to, in terms of what do we learn from the past flu season, the most important thing, which is number one, is really getting a flu shot. It really remains the best protection against influenza for the upcoming season. And maybe Dr. Marcy would like to comment on some of the issues that we had in the last flu season with respect to mortalities in certain populations. Yes, you're absolutely right. Flu vaccinations are key to helping protect us against flu. And really in this last season, I'll just touch very briefly on what we saw in terms of mortality we tragically saw that at the end of the season, the count was up to 179 children that had died from flu. And so as Senator Boyer had shared with us that very sad story, it just makes me think that there were another 178 families that had to go through that same devastating experience. And I think what was really sort of the more shocking part or the more jarring part about that is that 80% of the children that died from flu had not been vaccinated. 
And now I want to ask Senator Bollier to weigh in as we think about preparation for this year. We know that last year, more than 40 influenza outbreaks were investigated in Kansas. Senator Bollier, in preparation for this year, what can states do to prevent or minimize the harmful impact of influenza on individuals and communities? Well, of course, we have to get vaccinated, but one of the other things we can work on is getting the word out from our health departments to get vaccinated. And we can use social media, we can put information in schools, use posters in healthcare facilities, etc. In Kansas, we passed legislation so that we increase the availability of who can vaccinate by allowing pharmacists to give flu vaccinations. That is a great way for states to move forward in any community. Of course, hand washing is always important, but you can ask restaurants to put hand washing gels, make them available to the general public, not just in the restroom, so that people remember to clean their hands before they eat. And finally, in our legislature and others around, you can instigate a program instead of handshaking, you can do fist bump virtual or do elbow bumps to just say hello and that way not spread the virus or any other virus for that matter with hand-to-hand contact. Thank you, Senator. Those are really great suggestions and things that we can all do and look into. I'd like to transition back to talking a little bit more about the effectiveness of the flu vaccine. We talked earlier about the recommendation that at-risk populations, including pregnant women, young children, the elderly, and healthcare workers should all get the vaccine. Also, that the U.S. CDC recommends that everyone six months and older should get a flu vaccine. So, Dr. Mercer, can you tell us why flu vaccines are sometimes more or less effective and why it's different every year? And if you could just add to that, if we know sometimes the efficacy is low, why do we want to remind people that they should still be getting the vaccine? Great. Yes, of course. So, we have a saying, which is, if you've seen one flu season, you've seen one flu season which really speaks to the unpredictability and the complexities of the disease and really why, in part, flu vaccine effectiveness is different from year to year. Because they are something that we have to make a new one each season, we have this constant change. So the effectiveness of the vaccine is really impacted by a number of factors, which, again, can vary from season to season. And these factors can be due to the virus itself. They may be due to the virus strain selection process, they may be due to manufacturing, or even the patient. We call these host factors. These are all important considerations, and they can all impact how well the vaccine works. So, for example, one reason how well a vaccine will work is how accurate that prediction is of the flu strain. If we are accurate in knowing or working out which strain will be dominant in the season, that certainly helps with vaccine effectiveness. But Even if that prediction is accurate, as the season progresses, the circulation virus may drift and change just enough so that what's in the vaccine and what's circulating, there's enough difference there. And again, so what was a good match suddenly becomes a not so good match. Or um, when the viruses are prepared and adapted for vaccine production, there can be some changes that occur in that seed virus that gets used to make the vaccine So again, that can make our vaccines less immunogenic, so our immune systems don't respond as well to them, and that impacts the vaccine effectiveness. Then, of course, if we look at the host factors, so those are people getting vaccinated, there's a number of factors that impact a person's immune system. So we touched on, as you get older, your immune system becomes less robust. And the same thing happens with certain disease states. We have people whose immune systems are impacted by chronic disease. So 
people with diabetes, for instance, or somebody battling cancer and on treatment, even asthmatics who are on treatment and patients with rheumatoid arthritis, all of these different factors can actually impact immune system. And so even though you may have a really well-matched vaccine, if your immune system is not able to respond well to the vaccine you're given, that can lower vaccine effectiveness. So there's really a number of different factors that play a role in vaccine effectiveness. I want to thank everyone who's been listening in. I hope you're learning a lot. We're almost out of time, but we do have a couple last topics. We're going to talk a bit about new and innovative approaches and also look at worldwide incidences of the flu. So talking about the new and innovative approaches, if we can have Elaine join us, what type of work are you doing to change the vaccine? A lot of people talk about, will there be a universal vaccine? Um, Just to put that into context, what does a universal vaccine mean? A truly universal vaccine is ultimately the goal from an expert perspective. And unfortunately, this is several years away. And universal vaccine basically is an influenza vaccine that could satisfy the strain requirements across the globe all at a single point in time. So there are many manufacturers that are working on this, and this is essentially, in essence, the holy grail. There is also what's known as broadly protective influenza vaccine, and that will be available first as technically sort of a next generational seasonal vaccine in the years to come. And what that means is a broadly protective influenza vaccine will protect against many strains of the flu virus the desire and the goal is for that to occur for longer than a year so we can sort of get out of the loop of having to manufacture literally in this very complicated deadline of a six-month time frame. So broadly protective will protect against more strains of influenza, more serious strains of influenza, and the goal then is to have it be protective for longer than a year. Many manufacturers and our research and development teams have their sights on upgrading and enhancing influenza vaccination over the next several years. So the first step in that is the BPIV, and then later you think a universal vaccine comes along. That's correct. Thank you. And we've talked mostly today about what we're doing in our communities and here in the United States to prepare for this year's upcoming flu season. But what about a global pandemic? An influenza pandemic is a worldwide outbreak of a new influenza virus that can spread from person to person in an easy and efficient way. So can you please tell me what is being done to prepare for a possible pandemic? So we work very, very closely with the government on an annual basis to ensure that we are prepared for a pandemic. All of our production sites have been designed and built to specifically allow a switch in production from your regular seasonal vaccines to a pandemic vaccine where your strains are quite different and they're designed to do that as rapidly as possible. So it's a deep concern to our government. They work very closely with the various manufacturers to make sure that pandemic preparedness is first and foremost on our agenda, making sure that we continue to protect public health. Thank you. I appreciate that work being done. That's all the time we have for today. I hope you found this as informative as I have. I do want to give each of our guests an opportunity for a closing statement. So, Dr. Mercer, we could start with you. Great. Yes, thank you to all our listeners for giving us your time today. And I'd like to end on the same note that we started, which is to remind everyone that the best way to help protect yourself and your loved ones from getting the flu and the possible devastating outcomes of flu-related complications is to get your flu vaccination which is recommended for people six months and older. And it's something that we should be doing every year and readily available at your 
doctor's office, local pharmacy, clinic, maybe even an employee program. Really, the flu shot is easily available. It's affordable. Really, just get out there and make sure that you spread the word of getting vaccinated as well as vaccinating yourself. Thank you. And now I want to give Elaine a chance. Thank you, Representative Tarr. It was a pleasure to speak with you today and to be part of this podcast here. We're very committed to developing and manufacturing flu vaccines, both in the U.S. and worldwide, and we work closely with many partners for pandemic situations, including the government, and then obviously in the U.S. with our healthcare practitioners, our pharmacies, to make sure that we are truly protecting our population against a very serious disease. And we're very, very committed to that and making sure that we continue the partnership to keep everyone safe. And Senator Bollier, please. Thank you, Representative Tarr. I just want to remind people that it takes both a legislative and the executive branch of government to work in a state and help prevent flu. And those two branches need to work together and can well and don't hesitate to ask either your legislator or your governor and his or her cabinets to work and get information out. Second, there are very creative ways that we can use to encourage vaccination, and we need to seek even more creative ways because vaccination is the key. And finally, we do need to minimize the spread of disease in all ways possible, including hand washing and changing our cultural practice of shaking hands to maybe doing other types of fist bumps or the like so that we prevent the spread. Because the tragedy, as I mentioned earlier, of losing a child to a disease such as this, influenza is a formidable opponent, and we need to use everything that we have in our armamentarium to prevent flu in our states. Annual influenza vaccination is considered the most effective way to prevent influenza infection and its complications. All public health bodies, including the World Health Organization and U.S. Centers for Disease Control, reinforce their recommendation to get vaccinated each year against influenza. I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us on the latest Women in Government podcast. I'd also like to say thank you to all the listeners for taking the time to hear this important discussion. Don't forget to subscribe to, like, or share our podcast. You can also email us by visiting womenandgovernment.org. You've been listening to the Women in Government podcast, a resource made available for those interested in discussing important issues and policies of the day. For more information, please visit our website at womenandgovernment.org.